everybody, and welcome to sunny Arizona. This is the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andracki, joined here by Andy Martinez. So Andy, big news, Cody Bellinger back to the Cubs. Uh, it has now become official. We just got done with the press conference. So Cody Bellinger, his agent Scott Boris, and Jed Hoyer spoke with the media earlier on Wednesday here down in Arizona at the Cubs complex. What was your main takeaway, Andy? Like, what did you take from that press conference when Bellinger is back here? Yeah, for me, it was definitely that Bellinger felt like there was some unfinished business. Yeah. He talked multiple times about how close this team was to making the playoffs, and they just didn't get there. And it just felt like he had a sense of, of unfinished business and, and really wanted to, to finish the job that they had started last year in 2023 when they finished a game out of the playoff spot, when they won 83 games, when it looked like this team, especially in early September, late August, was destined to be a playoff caliber team. Then we saw what happened and the team improved in the offseason before the Bellinger signing and it looked like they were they were trending towards the right direction. But this Bellinger signing is the type of signing that can really take a team from like marginally good or fringe playoff team to a, a bona fide playoff team. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit later in the podcast just about how we think the Cubs stack up against the rest of the, te- the rest of the league and the rest of the division specifically now that Bellinger is in the mix. But I agree with you. I think that was one of the takeaways for sure is that like he felt like there was unfinished business. And, and I've compared this for a while now, now that we knew spring training was starting, that Bellinger was not with the team yet, to the Dexter Fowler move in 2016. Like mm-hmm. I felt like there was going to be a time where Bellinger was just going to show up to camp. Everybody's going to get all excited, just like Fowler did. Now, obviously, that was a surprise back in 2016. Like Nobody on the Cubs roster knew about it Theo Epstein just walked up I still remember being on the path and watching and I was like oh that's Dexter Fowler and like Theo is walking with a guy and I see like Arietta and uh, David Ross and a lot of those other guys like explode in, in cheers as they saw Fowler walk up and there was a whole team meeting that Joe Madden had gathered everybody together it wasn't quite as dramatic it wasn't quite as Hollywood as that to bring in Bellinger back but I feel the same thing in terms of that unfinished business like I think this Cubs team really feels like they are on the cusp of something special and I feel like they felt like Bellinger was the last piece. Now he's in the mix, and I feel like it's just business as usual. And like, So that was, I think, one of my takeaways is like, okay, great, now what? Yeah, but going back to your point about Dexter Fowler, what I thought was really fascinating is that there was a lot of similarities in that in the sense that in the middle of the night, everyone's asleep, everyone's kind of going to bed. Danzy Swanson even joked about it. The signing happens almost out of nowhere. Cody Bellinger and the Cubs come to an agreement. Dansby Swanson talked about Cody was calling him and he had already gone to bed and he rejected his phone call because he's like, I just saw you earlier in the day. They were at Freddie Freeman's kid's birthday party. He's like, I don't need to talk to you. I just talked to you. I love that, by the way, that he's just like, I already saw you. I don't need to talk to you. Right, right, right. And, And Cody's telling him to say, hey, like, no, like, I'm coming back. Like, this is official. And there were some similarities in that sense that, like, you go into the clubhouse the next day and Nick Madrigal's talking about how he got to see him and he finally got to, it was good to see him and, and catch up with him. Kyle Hendricks mentioned how excited he was to see his face back in the clubhouse. Like, like it just, there was some similarities to Dexter Fowler in that sense that it kind of felt like it was coming, but it was still a pleasant surprise and everyone was really happy once he did uh, rejoin with the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I can't decide who or what the players are happiest about, whether it's getting the person, Bellinger the person right. back, or Bellinger the player. I think they're pretty happy about both things, but like it was apparent last year, and you know, I remember we've talked about it a ton on this podcast, in articles, and one of my favorite articles from last year was 
it just that we did from MarqueeSportsNetwork.com was why Bellinger had this impact in the clubhouse and so quickly that by the time the trade deadline was coming along and there was the rumors whether he was possibly going to leave or not and be traded away and he obviously stuck around and, and everything else but it was like for the four, five, six months from spring training when he signed with the team you know and then carried through the the uh, when the trade deadline was coming up, how did he make such an impact right away? And it was like, it's the way that he carries himself. I mean, these guys, if you ask any guy about Cody Bellinger, any single guy, pitcher, who don't have a chance to hang out with him all the time, a fellow outfielder, a young guy like PCA, Pete Armstrong, whose playing time is directly tied to Cody Bellinger, or a guy like Nico Horner or Ian Happ, who's been around for a bit on this team, Dansby Swanson, who's a veteran in the league, Jan Gomes, all these guys just light up when they talk about Cody Bellinger. So I think they're just as excited to have their buddy back as they are to have their four-hitter or their three-hitter or whatever it may be. So I think that that was huge. And to me, like one of my takeaways from the press conference was the, the fact of unfinished business from Bellinger, but I think just that he wanted to be back here. And I, I always felt that he did. I think, you know, I've been saying for a long time, you have as well, Andy, that like we felt like Bellinger was going to be back. It felt like this fate accompli that he was going to be back with the Cubs. But I think that was because I felt it even from last year that he loved being here. He loved Wrigley Field. His family loved Chicago and the fan base and the organization and wanted to be back. And, and I felt like that came through really well in his press conference, too, that he wanted to be with the Cubs. He wanted to make a deal work out. It's a shorter term deal here. Maybe we do this all over again next offseason. Who knows? But for now, for 2024, he's back. It's, it's so interesting because Danzy Swanson at Cubs convention was talking about before we start, we talk about anything else, we got we to gotta re-sign Belly. Yeah. And to me, that was like an indictment of what kind of person he was. Scott Boris mentioned it after the press conference. He said that's the kind of reception or respect that someone gets for being with the team for eight years, not six months. Like, yeah. that shows the impact. And the last thing, I mean, you saw, if you got on Twitter, Cubs Twitter at any point, you saw how much everything was centered around well when's Cody coming back when's belly coming back there was I don't think there's been a player that has been on the Cubs for this short amount of time and been so loved and endeared that they want him back since probably like Castellanos I would I was gonna say maybe Frank Schwindel at Frank the Schwindel, end of 2021 sure, sure. by the fan base right yeah, right yeah. yeah for sure but but in terms of in terms of belly like he was there for a year and you knew it was only a year and yet it was still this this match made in heaven where it seemed like well they've been together for forever and it, it really had only been six months yeah for sure and I think uh Jed had a really funny comment too where he was like I haven't heard from Dansby since Saturday night now and it's really <laughs> it's it's glorious yeah. because Dansby's been in his ear all along and you mentioned already that the Cubs convention aspect that he came out publicly Dansby did saying yeah we just need to get Bellinger back but like he already was joking at the beginning of the offseason Jed was that Dansby's got to get like some khakis and get a desk and he's going to be a part of this offseason so I mean I can only imagine this dragged on for a hundred something days I don't know the exact number right but from the end of the the Cubs season until when they were able to get this deal done earlier this week here this dragged on for a while so how many times did Dansby call Jed or talk to him in person I mean maybe once a day maybe more than that maybe not quite that much but it was like still often throughout the the offseason so like I thought that was a great note but also I think that Dansby's pressure in some ways played a factor here and it's not just him it was just the fact that the clubhouse wanted him back so much and that he was such a fit that like he's worth the money because of his positional versatility the fact that even if he's not hitting if he slumps at any point which everybody goes through offensive slumps he's still a heck of a base runner he's a great defender at multiple different positions and he's so beloved in the clubhouse and he keeps things loose and he he has an impact that goes just beyond something that is tangible that made Jed and the rest of the Cubs front office feel 
confident about bringing him back on this deal. Again, there is some risk, but like I think from a Cubs perspective, this deal is a no-brainer. I mean, it's $30 million for this year. Again, we'll, we might go through this again, but at most it's three years, $80 million. It's, I think Kyle Hendricks summed it up best when he was asked about if he felt good about the team had they not signed Bellinger. And he said, yeah, we would have felt good, but we always felt like he was one of us and he was going to – like this was the final piece. And we'll get to it as to whether or not that really is the final piece, but – it, it is interesting to see how the Cubs thought of it, that they kind of always felt the team is good and they can compete, but Bellinger was, like, they were still missing that, that, that secret sauce. They were still missing that last piece. That feared and, hitter. In the right, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. And Nick Madrigal, I think I believe it was Nick Madrigal that talked about it, that said he's the type of guy that when he's struggling, he'll be lighthearted and be make, making fun of himself and keeping things very, very loose. When things are going well, he'll be that same person. Having that consistent mindset that consistent approach is really good for a clubhouse especially a young clubhouse with a lot of young guys that might be experiencing the major leagues for the first time might be experiencing some real struggle for the first time if you think about a guy like pca or some top prospects who have kind of crushed every level that they've been at to under uh, sustained struggles really having someone like cody bellinger that can kind of make it late lighthearted is is a real x factor that might not ever appear in a box score but it's just as crucial oh absolutely and just that that sense of humor and being yeah lighthearted, being able to make fun of yourself through such a long season. When these guys become family, they become a part of the team. You need that kind of stuff. You need guys like that that don't take themselves too seriously and, and allow everybody else to relax and settle in. And when the pressure mounts in the ninth inning or in September or maybe even in October or November, however far the Cubs may get this year or in the future with Bellinger on the roster, that, that, that experience that he has allows him – to, to be so relaxed in the moment, and it helps make everybody else relax. So I think that, again, going back to there are all these like intangible aspects of him coming back, but let's talk a little bit, Andy, about some of the like tangible things. What does this do to the rest of the roster now that Cody Bellinger is back? We alluded already a bit to like PCA, Pico Armstrong, his future. What do you see maybe with PCA there, and how do you th see these ripple effects of Bellinger's return? I think the biggest thing when it comes to PCA is probably means barring some sort of injury to, to some of the outfielders that are currently established in the line up and on the roster probably means PCA starting at AAA and I know some Cubs fans are probably going to be upset to hear that but the reality of the, the, the matter is for PCA's development for the Cubs long-term health the best thing is to have PCA getting regular at bats does it provide Craig Council a really good X factor having a defensive weapon like PCA on his bench of course and it, and it could probably help them win some games but ultimately for PCA and for the Cubs this year, next year, and beyond, the biggest thing is for him to continue to get everyday at-bats, to continue to fine-tune his offensive game. So it really creates this – this this it really forces PCA to, to go down to AAA and kind of reestablish himself as an offensive player that, that can contribute to the big league roster. And when he proves that, I think he'll be back up and really be more than just a defensive replacement that Craig Council can use late in games. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big difference between late March and April and maybe even May than in September or August or whatever in the middle of a playoff race when you want a defensive replacement or you want a base runner who can go out and steal you a bag or score from first on a double in the gap You know, if you want a pinch run for Jan Gomes or something late in a really close game. But for PCA, like you said, his development, that's, that's not the best thing for a 22, 23-year-old center fielder who has a, by all accounts, really 
good career, really long career ahead of him in the big leagues. Cody Bellinger even said as much at the introductory press conference today here on Wednesday that he believes that PCA is going to have a, a big future. And he also said that he and Pete Armstrong have been talking throughout this whole process, throughout the offseason, which I think another, you know, going back to the intangible aspect, the leadership aspect, like Bellinger might not necessarily be a guy that gets up, gives a Jason Hayward game seven rain delay rah-rah type speech, but just the, the quiet leadership on a day-to-day -day basis, his impact on, Cody, on uh, PCA I feel like there's maybe nobody else better to learn from than, than Bellinger uh, in, in that aspect. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that unless there's a path to playing time every single day, that it makes more sense for PCA to start in AAA. But I think it kind of depends on these other pieces too, right? So we've already seen Christopher Morrell at third base. That's the positional home that we're looking for from him. The DH spot's still open. Michael Bush is at first base. Bellinger can play center or first, but, like, I think all these moving parts right now lead to PCA in the minors. Maybe one injury, maybe some performance, including PCA's performance this spring, could change any of that. We, we, the, the prime example I always go back to is Christopher Merrill last season, right? He had struggled really, really badly in, in late 2022, and – 2023, there was no clear fit for him on, on the roster. They were clearly going with Nick Madrigal at third base and Patrick Wisdom at third base la at the beginning of last year. And the outfield was kind of set with Bellinger and, and Happ and Suzuki. And you didn't want to have Christopher Morrell really DHing full time. So it was kind of like, where, well, where does Morrell fit? Well, let's have him go down to the minor leagues, fine tune some of the struggles that he had in 2022. And once he forced the issue where he was, it seemed like every night he was hitting a, a home run. They had to bring him up to the roster. That's, I think, the, the best path, the best something similar that could happen with PCA. I think if he continue, if he goes down to the minor leagues, really performs offensively and shows that he is beyond that, that level, I think then the Cubs are forced to have to look at him and find a way to give him regular playing time. And so that's, I think, the, the best similarity for, for PCA and is just looking at what Christopher Morrell did in 2023. You know, I always go back to something that Jed Hoyer has said a bunch, that the lineup you make on opening day is not necessarily the lineup you're going to make throughout the rest of the season. In fact, it almost never is. Injuries, ineffectiveness, we're still talking about young players with Morrell and Bush as well. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. We are going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about what Bellinger's return means to the Cubs win total for 2020. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? I'll take a $300. $300. $300. Get your exclusive card at wintrust.com slash cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast here. I'm Tony Andraki, joined by Andy Martinez down in sunny Mesa, Arizona. Cody Bellinger was just reintroduced to the Cubs a little bit ago. Andy Circa, Illinois Sportsbook, has the Cubs at 84.5 wins. They were at 83.5 wins before the Bellinger re-signed. Do you feel like this was more than a win? I, I guess I would have thought that this would have gone up higher, more than 84 and a half at, at the over-under for the Cubs this season. I think when – the, these numbers are so wonky, right, just because it's it's about – the books are trying to make money. And, like, if, if you told me are they going to win more than 84 and 84 – more or less than 84 and a half games, I think that's a really tough one to predict. I would tend to lean towards over, but I think that's such a, such a really good number that – 
I look at it. I would prefer to look maybe like at a Fangraphs or Pakoda what their what their projection projections say. I think Cody Bellinger. He was a four win player last year. Does that mean directly he added four wins? Yes, that's how math works. Right. Yep. So does he <laughs> add eight four wins to an eighty three win team or to what was previously maybe like an eighty win team? Then that puts you at eighty four. And that's really not how math works. I was just right, joking around. Right, that's like, not how the war. Right. Is. Right. But so like it, all these questions factor in. Is like, is there a quantifiable measure in terms of how many actual wins he mm-hmm. adds? No. But is one. Uh, on a sports book site safe enough of a guess probably yeah and i think one of the thing that i like about it is if you said 83 and a half without bellinger i was like that seems like a pretty good number i feel like i would still take the over add bellinger to this lineup and we talked about just adding the feared hitter back into the lineup and it's 84 and a half i feel like i would almost hammer the over even more now just because of you look back at last year the cubs pythagorean record 90 wins that's what it had them at that was because they struggled in high leverage moments. Jed Hoyer talked about it for much of the season, especially early on in May and June when the Cubs were without Bellinger last year, when he had that injured knee. So if they play at that level, then you would figure about the same this year. Now, there's so many ifs that factor into that. Health, uh, performance, obviously, by so many different players. Is Justin Steele a Cy Young candidate? Again, Marcus Stroman was a Cy Young candidate for the first half of the season, then was injured and ineffective for the whole second half. Replacing him with Shota Imanaga in the rotation, how does that impact it? You talk about all these young pitchers coming up, some young players, Michael Bush, all of these different things. There's so many factors that go into it. I feel pretty confident in it. Like, I already felt pretty confident in this team and the, the moves that they made, the internal improvements they're banking on. You add Bellinger into that, and I don't know that he hits 300 again. I don't know that he approaches 30 homers, 90-plus RBI and runs. I don't know. I just feel more confident that the Cubs are going to be much closer to a playoff team and, and the 85-plus win threshold. I think the biggest thing is that it raises their floor. Yeah. Like, does it raise their ceiling? Maybe marginally. And I think that's when you look at maybe that 84-and-a-half number. But I think you start looking at the, the, the worst possible outcomes, and that kind of gets raised a little bit when you add Cody Bellinger. What, like you mentioned, is he a 300 hitter with 25 home runs, 26 home runs, whatever it was? I don't know. Scott Boris said he's a guy who's remember he's a guy who's hit 39, 47 home runs. Is he that? I'm not sure that yeah. that's the case either. So it's trying to figure out where Cody Bellinger is going to be, but it also provides cover for if Michael Bush struggles. He hasn't had an extended run in the major leagues. There's going to be struggles as a young player. If Christopher Morrell, he's hit a lot of home runs in the minor leagues and in the major leagues. Might he go through a cold streak? Might he go through a hot streak? Or struggle defensively at third base. Right, right. There's so many factors that come in. But I think adding Cody Bellinger at the very worst provides a floor, provides cover, provides so much help to some of these young guys. It buys them time. It allows you to not have to rely on a Pete Crow Armstrong to come up and deliver right away. It allows you to not have to wonder when is Owen Casey coming up. It allow it brings you all these certain it brings you all the security that you don't have to worry about banking on some guys who have never done it at the hardest league in the in, in the world to, to do it at. Yeah, and I, I think all those ifs that I was talking about and you were alluding to a bit, the return of Bellinger makes some of those ifs a little bit more stable and a little bit more certain because of all the things you said. You basically just need one of Michael Bush or PCA to hit this year and not necessarily hit offensively. I mean, hit on being a successful, impactful big leaguer. If you get one of those to hit, Bellinger can play the other position, assuming health for everybody. Obviously, then there is the DH factor, and maybe there's room for all three of them if they all play well. And uh, Other guys might get hurt, in which case Cody Bellinger's played right field. He can play if, if, say, a Suzuki 
gets hurt or something like that. Michael Bush can play all over the infield. If there are, if Morrell does struggle at third base and they want more of a long-term solution that's not Nick Madrigal or Miles Mastroboni or Patrick Wisdom, maybe Bush moves there, Bellinger plays first. Like, all these different options. So I really like what you said, that it's raising the floor. And I feel like that's so true. It, it definitely raises the floor. And I think offensively a big thing is the, this Cubs team scored the sixth most, most runs in Major League Baseball last year with Cody Bellinger. He did miss a month. He had MVP votes. He had a really strong season. But I feel like there's more meat in the bone. There's more on the table for this offense that you add a little bit more left-handed pop with Michael Bush, uh, possibly. And by Christopher Morell playing the field, adding in the possibility of DH, maybe some veteran like David Peralta is in there or Dom Smith or some of these non-roster guys. Garrett Cooper's another rumored name out there. Maybe they end up impacting the DH spot as well, and your offense is just better. Like I think there's more ceiling in there that maybe – just maybe they can be a top five offense this year. I wouldn't be shocked at that. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the, the strong suits for Craig Council in his time in Milwaukee was just how good he was able to mix and match lineups given the, the opponent, given the rest that players needed, et cetera, et cetera. He has that now with Cody Bellinger. If he decides Cody Bellinger needs – or Michael Bush needs a day off, Cody Bellinger will go to, to first base. Mike Talkman can play in center field. Say Suzuki needs a day off and Pete Armstrong's on the roster. All right, maybe you move – Cody Bellinger to right field where he was a gold glove winner and you put PCA at center field and Michael Bush at first base. It, you're, there's so many there's so much of an ability to mix and match that it, it, it allows Craig Council to do something that he's at his best at, right? And that's being able to, to optimize the lineup, optimize a roster to get the most wins possible than, than, than you would have otherwise. Craig Council during the offseason, I remember the, the quote was they're, they're trying to solve for wins. And I think that's the way I look at it is, well, how do you optimize everything that you have how do you optimize a bullpen how do you optimize a rotation how do you optimize a lineup to get the best out of every player so that you're winning the most amount of games possible and adding Cody Ballinger being able to move him around being able to give some other guys rest being able to move other guys around creates the best possible lineup where you're solving for the most amount of wins possible yeah I think just the left-handed aspect that we've yeah. been talking about specifically on this podcast all offseason Cubs needed more left-handed bats in the lineup and more left-handed pop well you just went on and got the best hitter not named Shohei Otani that was available from the left side this offseason. So, yeah, I think it, it's a huge boost to the lineup, and it, and it does give them more room. We talk about positional versatility, but now they have Ian Happ, a switch hitter. They have Nico Horner. These guys are good on base guys, good base runners, can hit towards the top of the lineup. Where does Dansby Swanson go? Does Seiya Suzuki put together a full season and, and perform like he did in August and September? Where does he hit? I mean, right there, there, there's five guys, and that doesn't even include Mike Talkman, who might lead off against right-handed pitchers. doesn't include PC in there, and that doesn't include Christopher Morrell, Christopher who tied with Cody Bellinger for the most home runs last year, or Michael Bush. Like This suddenly looks like a lot longer, a lot lengthier of a lineup, and I think offensively that's why I feel confident about it. But, Andy, let's talk – you know, we've talked so much about Bellinger and the ripple effects on the roster. What else is going on in camp? What else has intrigued you down here in Arizona so far? I think the uh, something that really wasn't talked about enough, and, and I wrote about it a little bit on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com, was the impact of the Bailey Horn trade that was done to create a roster spot on the 40-man for Cody Bellinger. Bailey Horn added to the 40-man over the offseason. He was Rule 5 eligible. The Cubs wanted to protect him. They added him to the roster, a lefty reliever with really intriguing stuff. His issue in 2023 and really throughout his career was – he issued a lot of walks. He walked a lot of. He had a high walk percentage. He was sent to the White Sox for right-handed pitcher Matthew Thompson, who was in Double A as a starter. Cubs really liked him coming out of the amateur draft process, but it leaves the Cubs with only two true left-handed options out of the bullpen, and one of them is being stretched out as a starter, Drew Smiley, right now. So it really leaves them with just Luke Little, who has pitched for six innings, six and two-thirds innings in the major leagues. They don't really have a left-handed option in the bullpen, and. 
Jed Hoyer alluded to guys like maybe like Hector Neris or, or Mark Leiter Jr. that can get lefties out. But the ripple effects that that has had, it comes actually comes down to Bellinger because of having the, to create the roster spot. But the, the left-handed options are something that I'm looking at. There's a couple, there's a few intriguing lefties in camp, whether it's like Richard Lovelady or, or Thomas Pannone, guys like that that have some big league experience. Edwin Escobar had spent seven years in in Japan and is, was one of the better relievers for – it actually showed on a Monaga's team, the Denabe Stars. There's some intriguing options, but it's really who's going to be the left-handed relief option for the Cubs. For a lot of times in 2023, they did not have a lefty reliever, and it was Mark Leiter Jr. that was coming out against a pocket of lefties. That's one thing I'm keeping an eye on and really going to be focusing on throughout the, rest, the last few weeks of, of camp. Yeah, I honestly, I'm a little surprised that there's not more left-handed options and that they did trade away one of their only left-handed options on the 40-man roster just because this was such a, a storyline all last season is that they spent most of last year when Brandon Hughes got injured, spent most of last year without a lefty in the bullpen at all. So Luke Little came up towards the end of the season. At that point, Drew Smiley was in the bullpen as well. For a lot of the time when Smiley was down there, I mean, he was a long guy. He came out and pitched multiple innings. Towards the end, you know, the last few weeks, especially when Edward Alzali and, and uh, Mark Leiter Jr. were banged up and, and on the, uh, the IL, then, yeah, Smiley was in some of the more leverage moments, pitching a little short, you know, shorter outing stints. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I am a little surprised. You know, Little is just so unproven, and the fact that Council has always had a lot of options to work with in his bullpen. But that being said, I think the point that you made about Leiter and Neris is a really important one, is these are righties that can get lefties out. Jose Quas has also proven in the past to get lefties out. He has that funky angle. Adbert Alzale last year, you know, was able to get a lot of lefties out as well. So, like, I do think the Cubs have a lot of options now in the bullpen to, to play around with. And then Council may be the best bullpen manager in the game. So I'm confident in it for sure. I'm just a little bit surprised that there wasn't more left-handed depth. And now, there was a comment that Craig Council made the other day that was really interesting. He said, there's a lot of guys that are in camp that might not make an impact on the major league roster at all. And there's a lot of guys who don't won't appear in a single spring training game, aren't even in camp, alluding to some minor leaguers, that might have a massive impact on, on the Cubs roster. And I think of Daniel Palencia last year, wasn't yeah. in big league camp, didn't pitch in, in spring games. He was a starter in double A and he's getting he's coming in for a save against the Milwaukee Brewers on July 4th. Like these are there there's so many options that you just might not hear of that you might not know of that could end up being massive massive forces for the Cubs bullpen. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And I think w between what happens in the rotation is obviously going to have an impact on the bullpen as well. But that'll do it for the Cubs Weekly Podcast. As always, we are sponsored by Wintrust. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on the Marquee Sports Network app. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks for tuning in.